The important work of political and civic engagement doesn't just happen every two years. 2023 has critical elections, starting with a must-win Supreme Court seat in Wisconsin. Vote Save America's No Off Years program is here to help you stay engaged through 2023. Right now, you can donate to our No Off Years Fund to help get out the vote in Wisconsin ahead of their April election. And sign up to stay in the loop on what's happening and how you can get involved via remote or in-person volunteer opportunities, targeted donations, and more. Just head to votesaveamerica.com to get started. Hi, everyone. I am Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. Workplaces are often very, very skilled at making us feel very, very bad about ourselves, or at the very least, like the least confident version of ourselves. You can go from feeling like you know exactly how to work the system, exactly who to talk to when you have a problem, exactly what you do and do not know at one job, and then you start a new job and you're back at square one. You have to learn all the new written and unwritten curriculum for that job, the right person to email, the right emojis to use, when it's okay to actually log off or leave the office on a Friday. It takes time to rebuild your work confidence, and sometimes, depending on the workplace itself, that confidence never comes. You wake up after five or ten years and realize you still feel like you might be doing everything wrong or pissing everyone off. First off, I'll say that if you've been at a workplace for more than a few months and you don't have a clear idea of how you're doing, that's a management problem, and we'll dive more into that next week. But sometimes the problem is less structural. Sometimes what you need is a good work pep talk. And if you've been listening to this podcast from the beginning, you know exactly who I wanted to bring back to give it. Hi, my name is Josh Gondelman. I am, uh, I'm back on the podcast, which is very exciting. I am lately mostly a touring stand-up comedian for the last few months, but I'm also a TV writer and producer and author. I have a, a pug who is famous in the neighborhood. And my Twitter bio, if I were a very religious person, would also say, like, husband, brother, son. <laughs> um, hustler. Hustle, yeah, like, hustler, grind mode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know this is a podcast about work, but I'm like, here's a bunch of work stuff I do. That's how I define myself. The end. <laughs> feels, still feels weird. Wait, but you are also officially the first repeat guest host. I'm the first repeat guest. On, yeah, the, thank on you. Work Appropriate. And I know you've been touring, but you also started something new since we last talked. Oh, yes, that's true. I have a newsletter uh, called That's Marvelous, where I do pep talks um, for readers, but also like people in the news or just concepts I've been thinking about. <laughs> uh, and it goes out every Monday. Joshgondelman.substack.com is where you go, or you can find it. I like link to it on my social media all the time. And it's really fun. I've had a really good time. It's free. And I've had a, a really nice time doing it. I will also say I am a subscriber um, that one of the great things is that people can write in if they need a pep talk and then you can give them a pep talk. That's really fun. I don't. There's no like specific mechanism other than just me asking on Twitter. But it is I should say that it's like wide open. And if, if you write to me. I will almost definitely answer, especially if I haven't solicited and I'm like deluged with like two dozen or whatever, 50. If you're if you just write off peak hours, you know, (laughs) cheap train times, 
I will almost definitely respond within two weeks in the newsletter. So what is your own experience building your own confidence? Like, do you think of yourself as a confident person? Most, I feel like I most stand-up say, comedians don't, right? Well, it, it's both, right? Like, it's there's definitely there are definitely times where I feel nervous or anxious. I feel like my lack of confidence is often situational, and yeah. sometimes it's undue, and sometimes it's due, right? But I feel like my baseline is like, I know what I'm good at. I know where I'm deficient, and then it's a gradient from one pole to the other. Like, okay, I'm going to do a good job at this. I might not do a good job at this. Like, if I'm I'm pretty confident of, like, going to the places where I normally do stand-up, then I'm not like, oh, what if this audience hates me? Right. And then one step to, you know, towards nervous is like, oh, this is a new place in a new city that I've never been. I hope I fit the vibe there. And then on the other end of the spectrum is, like, slam dunk contest, where I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to go well for me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on, like, obviously there are things that probably I think I'm great at where I'm like, man, I make a killer omelet. And then I serve it to people and they're like, this is adequate at best. Or stuff that I'm like, "Uh, this isn't really my strong suit and I do it fine. But I definitely feel like a comfort with, like, the stuff I do mostly professionally and, um... And personally, I I feel like a pretty comfortable person, but I don't know if that always translates to like outward confidence. And I think people have said that my stand-up at times is like self-deprecating. I prefer to think of it as like self-aware. Yeah. Like I know what I'm like right. and I'm not like, oh, I stink. <laughs> but I am like, yeah, I, I, I know I've got kind of like a, I've got kind of an egg-shaped smooth head with a little, little patchy beard underneath. Like that's... <laughs> That's something I'm aware of. I don't think I'm Jason Momoa. <laughs> but you don't have to be Jason Momoa to be like, I'm doing all right. Yeah, no. And I I think my I'm like, I'm confident in going on a podcast. And that confidence only oh, yeah. only derived out of doing a lot of podcasts, right? And not even just yes. like hosting them, but going on a lot of them. And then I'm so unconfident if someone asks me to like be part of a volleyball game. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, totally. and then I manifest that by being like, fuck volleyball. Like volleyball is the worst. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, like just classic. I, right. I, I think I haven't played like pickup basketball. I, I haven't been like as active as I would like to be over the past few years. And so I have some friends that play pretty regularly. And like my being like, oh, I'm not quite like in game shape. Like not even just like in terms of like my physical body but just like oh I'm rusty like I'm not ready to go yet and that manifests in me continuing to not get the reps in that would both build skills and build confidence but I think one thing that you said is so important and something I think about all the time where like I think a lot of people in in creative fields and maybe other fields but I mostly you know I have a lot of friends that are in creative fields write off the stuff that they do naturally and that they feel confident as as like not important or not worthwhile yeah like it doesn't count it doesn't count yeah yeah. yes exactly where you're like oh yeah of course i'm confident at that that's like the thing i do all the time it's like that's what confidence is (laughs) it doesn't mean you think you'd make a good astronaut it means like you have a reasonable level of like you know your own proficiency and you feel comfortable and not like undue anxiety over stuff that is in your wheelhouse in my opinion yeah yeah and i think like sometimes we only recognize confidence in things that have like flashing red lights around them as like brave Mm -hmm. so like someone who can get up on a stage right that is something that we think of as confidence but like you know there's all sorts of like incredible proficiencies 
Like someone can be really confident in knowing how to clean a bathroom really well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not celebrated as confidence. Right. So you give pep talks to other people. Do you ever give yourself a pep talk? Yeah, I'll psych myself up. What does that Um, sound like? I think it's like, you're prepared for this. There's nothing to be afraid of is like really helpful. This is within the realm of things you can do is always helpful for me to tell Mm -hmm. myself. Or like, nobody is here to get mad at you. (laughs) That really helps too. Like whether it's a show or a meeting or whatever kind of thing, just be like, people didn't come here lying in wait to ambush me, right? Even if it's like, oh, the stakes of this are high, there might be people that are hard to impress or have tough questions or, you know, if it's a job interview or something, but it's like, I'm there because someone wanted me to be there. And I know what I'm doing enough that like, probably it's not going to be adversarial. Yeah. Yeah. And this, you know, this connects with, I think, a larger conversation than that a lot of people have in the workplace about imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Like people being feeling like over and over again, I don't belong here. And I think the most mm-hmm. common strain of advice is like, you wouldn't be here if you didn't belong here, right? Like you were hired yeah. for a reason. And I know that there's an inner voice inside of you that's saying like somehow you deceived every single person who did yes. this hiring. <laughs> but And not only that, but the people who recommended yes, you for this every job. Every single and person. You, before. you, yeah, you were totally. a master at deception. You're the talented Mr. Rip. <laughs> That's how you got this job. And so for today, our questions, we get a lot of questions that I think could be put under this larger umbrella of confidence at work. But the first ones kind of deal with that that voice in your head that say, I'm scared I'm fucking everything up, that I'm a fraud, that everyone hates me, all that sort of thing. And then the second category, we're going to get to this a little bit later, is about building confidence to deal with awkward situations with your coworkers. So our first question is about moving on from a bad time in your professional past. Here's Erica. I was terminated from my first professional job. While I owned my mistakes, I was young and naive and didn't understand what was happening when my supervisor kept writing me up. Although this was over 10 years ago now, I still carry a lot of shame about it. I work in healthcare where disclosure of work history is routine. How do I talk about this in interviews and on forums? I feel that this history and my feelings about it are holding me back from confidently putting myself forward. Josh, what do you think? How can Erica give herself a pep talk here? Erica, I understand this feeling of shame, right? It feels so bad when something at work goes badly. You feel so embarrassed, especially when you're like, oh, there were warnings and I didn't right. see them because I was too naive for that. Like, that feels so bad. And you, I'm sure you, like, think about that period in your life and, like, your face gets hot and you sweat. And it's like, that's none of anyone's business, yeah. frankly. It was 10 years ago. And, and I truly understand the feeling of shame. But, like, this is like going into a job interview and being like, oh, I cheated on a spelling <laughs> test. Like, it doesn't matter and it matters to you and I don't want to discount that but it it is none of truly none of the business of the people you don't have to disclose every bad thing that you've ever done or that's ever happened to you and uh just because something feels like a visceral shame to you doesn't make it extra important to disclose like it doesn't it's not you didn't kill a guy so the pep talk is 
you've had 10 years and this hasn't happened again. This isn't who you are. It's like a thing that you did once a decade ago. Like think about your haircuts a decade ago and like the the pants you wore. <laughs> Everything is so different. Your body has replaced all its cells is something that might be true. I don't know. Um <laughs> The thing you did was not so severe, nor was it so recent that you have to disclose it unless people like really, really, really are prying for the specifics. Right, right. And it's at least from the question, I do not get the sense that there was an ethical violation no. or that, like you said, that like someone died, anything so severe, because those are things that like sometimes that means legal prosecution or not being sure. able to practice in the field, all those sorts of things. It just seems like she didn't know how to do her job well at that mm-hmm. moment. And also, like she says, she was naive and young. Man, I messed up on jobs all the time when I was in my 20s. Like, Absolutely. In part because I hadn't worked at jobs for that long, right? Like I started working besides babysitting. Like my first job was when I was 16, right? That's not that long to have worked at jobs. And I think that yeah. sometimes... We're hard on ourselves about things that we didn't know to know. Agreed. Yes. And I think like when something feels really shameful, it feels really like important and definitional, but it's not to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like that is really important to like allow yourself to feel. It's okay to have been bad. It probably wasn't like that okay at that job, (laughs) but it's okay. Now, again, if, if it is something where you're like, oh, I was so negligent that all these horrible things happened and you're going to read about them if you Google me because it was a national news story, then like, yeah, maybe get out ahead of that. But if it was just like, oh yeah, I did kind of sloppy work and I didn't realize that I wasn't pulling my weight, then it's like you've had 10 years to turn it around and it seems like you have and you don't have to like anticipate that everybody is like x-ray visioning through you to see your darkest secrets and shames. Yeah. I, I think one thing that would be useful and this might sound like very woo-woo, but is to actually forgive herself for, totally. for whatever happened. You know, I have this recurring dream where I used to be a nanny. And sometimes I would have real anxiety that like the parents would come home and the diapers would be too full. Like anytime that they pooped, mm-hmm. obviously I changed their diapers, but sometimes like they pee a couple times and you just kind of do it yep. every couple hours. You change the diapers. And in my nightmare, (laughs) they come home, the parents come home, and the diapers are, like, just overflowing. Like, the weird absorbent material is somehow, like, coming Mm -hmm. out the top. There's a reason why I have this stress dream, and it's that I was always scared that, like, I was somehow doing a bad job and failing these kids in some way, right? And what I need to say to myself is, like, you were a really good nanny. You did not mess up. I can be forgiven for sometimes taking, you know, changing diapers every two hours and 15 minutes instead of two hours. But I need to say that to myself in order to stop having this dream. And what she's essentially having in her work application cycle here is that dream coming up again and again, that Mm -hmm. moment of shame. Yeah. And even if you did screw up, it's okay to forgive yourself. Like, even if you were really bad at that job, it's okay to be like, yeah, I'm forgiven for being bad. I'm forgiven for doing sloppy work that other people had to cover for or for ignoring protocols in a way that like was inconvenient and people didn't get necessarily like the best uh, results for what they were asking for. Like most of the time, again, if what you're embarrassed about or feel this, this lingering shame over is like the way you were naive rather than specific outcomes that were genuinely hugely destructive then it's okay to let go of that 
and and it's again if if it was as bad as I'm insinuating it might have been as as Anne said there probably would have been some kind of legal consequences <laughs> because if you're if it's just like oh I feel bad that I did a bad job it's like it's okay to have done a bad job yeah. bad at the time you're not like the bad job queen yep. that's like toting this bag of trash everywhere you go yep. you're a person who like learned from having made mistakes yeah and I think too there's nothing that says that you have to say exactly why you left any job. Unless, of course, there was like legal ramifications. So on your resume or on your application, you had a job for that period of time. And then you had another job and another job. And all of those Mm -hmm. other jobs, especially where your references are coming from, those speak so much more strongly about Erica's qualifications than anything that happened in this job 10 years ago. But also... I know that sometimes jobs have the little box where it says, have you ever been fired from a job? And then that will probably come up in an interview. So if that happens, how does she answer that? Like, what is her script? I feel like because it was so long ago, it's easy to leave with like, yeah, the first job I ever had, I like wasn't a good fit. It like wasn't, I think wasn't a good fit is like such a good euphemism. (laughs) And you're just like, yeah, I was a young person and I just like didn't quite have the the skills for this demanding job yet and I I was in a little over my head and uh it was like a great learning experience that I like really buckled down and redoubled my effort in future workplaces and hasn't happened since I think like the distance from it is so important the 10 years is like makes it such an easy smooth thing to like excuse and then it gives you that job interview permission to like pivot to talking about your strengths actually Josh you're hired I I love your description of of a job 10 years ago. All right. So our next question is something that I know a lot of people are going to identify with. Let's hear from E. I've always felt very uncomfortable claiming my expertise, experience, skills, etc. in any context, but especially at work. I always kind of assumed that this discomfort would start to pass as I got older and more established in my career, but I turned 32 this last December, and I've been in the workforce post-college for nearly a decade, and I feel as uncomfortable as ever. A trusted colleague was shocked to hear that I have a perpetual crisis of confidence because I've gotten really good at faking it. Um, Being a young, formerly woman-presenting person in the workplace meant I had no other choice. My strategy for faking it is to try to think what a mediocre 25-year-old Ivy League white dude would say and use that as a guide. My question, though, is how do I deal with this? How does one become confident in their own competence and expertise when it's been constantly challenged based on demographics? So I feel like E understands exactly how to project confidence, but has not given themselves that inner pep talk. So how would you advise them? Okay. This is maybe controversial. But I think the kind of directive, almost, you know, seven-year-old Sarah Haggy tweet of Lord Grant Me the Confidence of a Mediocre White Man, like, I think that is, in some ways, like, a really helpful signpost on the way to, like, feeling confident, right? Like, I wish I could be as confident as these chumps that, like, stumble through the world, and when they fall down, it's, like, into a big pile of money, and and everybody's like, hey, you fell into the money pile. You get to keep it or whatever. And I think that that's like aspirational in the way of like the quantity of confidence. But I think in this case, right, you're going like, what would this 
incompetent or mediocre dickhead say or do. And I think it's okay to not use that as a rubric. And like, you don't need to hear this from me. Uh, uh, I would say slightly above mediocre white man, but like the, the idea of like, what if you were really good at your job? What would you do? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Not just going like, oh, if I were like a different kind of fraud, I would be confident like this. But being like, if I were really proficient, how would I act? And and I think like other people see you as confident, right? Yeah. And, and And other people see you as capable. Nobody's like, you seem confident but not capable. It sounds like people think you are confident and think you're getting the job done. And so take everyone else's word for it take everyone else's word Mm -hmm. for it that like you're doing okay and like internalize that instead of going like hmm what would this this person i have contempt for do in this situation i'll act like them because then you're just going like oh i'm acting like this this kind of person that i don't think has a lot of value right right so basically the the posture that they're emulating is a posture for which they have no respect and that is hollow Right. Yes. So if you emulate that posture, of course, you yourself are going to feel hollow because you think that those mediocre white men don't have anything to back up their confidence either. Right. Totally. Ultimately, an empty performance. And you're going to feel that emptiness the more that you do it. So like you said, I think the solution here is to be like, listen, my referent isn't these assholes. Yeah. My referent is, well, myself, but then also I think maybe find other people that aren't mediocre people just generally. Totally. Who you really respect and be like, the confidence that I am emulating is their confidence. Yes. I think picking role models, because I think, again, the quantity of confidence of like, God, it would be so nice to have the blind confidence of a rich idiot. Like that, yeah. would, that would feel amazing. But if you don't have that, then being like, what would a rich idiot do? You're you're aiming too low. You are someone who is competent and who is capable of creating this facsimile of confidence. It's like, right, fill it in with something that's worthwhile to you. Role models, as Anne said, that are like worthy of emulation and, and going like, I want to be like this person, so I will attempt to be like this person, you know, um, whoever, I don't want to patronize by being like this, you know, uh, be Beyonce or whatever. But like, (laughs) you know, if you were some, if, if you were thinking about someone you admire, whether it's a Beyonce or Michelle Yeoh or, um, you know, uh, Andre the Giant, like (laughs) Dignitaro, like who, it doesn't matter who it is as long as you're like, I would like to be like this person in quality and in confidence. To say, I navigate the world with the confidence of Tignataro, you know, that is aspirational. Like to say yeah. like that is, the, that is the, the way that I want to enter the world. I'm glad that we managed in this question to both give advice and also deconstruct an incredibly popular meme. Because, well, I think the meme is a great meme. Yes. What Sarah was saying isn't like, I'm going to act like a, like a rich idiot. Right. She's like, I wish I had, I wish I was full of as much self-assurance as this kind of person routinely is. Not, I'm going to try to be like them. And, yeah. and I think that is like a subtle difference, but like a worthwhile one if you're trying to not just project confidence, which you're really capable of doing, but um, to try to like actually cultivate it within yourself. Our next question is about that special kind of confidence crisis that comes when you're bored. Here's Megan. 
I am in my mid-twenties and two years into a corporate job. I have an adequate job. It's good pay, good job security, but I'm worried I've stagnated and have just become an imposter worker. Specifically, I'm worried that I've become a deadweight in the team, squandered my tertiary education, and resigned to becoming more boring and unimaginative in my work life. My role can provide ample opportunity for growth, but for a while, I haven't been motivated to go out of my way and put my hand up and ask for more. I feel like because my brain does menial tasks all day, I've become used to it, and my brain switches off when it has to face anything challenging. What advice do you have for getting out of that rut? Josh. Yeah. What advice do you have for Megan? Get out. I know. Yeah. That's <laughs> Get out. Fit, like, remove yourself from this. I mean, I, obviously, it's not as easy as that. But, like, in a perfect world, it, like, the way you're talking about your job is, like, the way people talk about their partner right before they're like, oh, we sh- I should get a divorce. Yeah. Right? Like, I really like, love my partner so yeah. much. Like, but... They're- They're so adequate. That's what I love about them (laughs) is that they're adequate and they provide opportunity for growth. And like, gosh, isn't that what we all want? And it sounds like there's opportunity for growth, not in a direction you're interested in growing in, you know, like you buy really big pants. Like, sure, you could maybe you're going to grow to fill the pants or maybe you're like done growing that way. Maybe you're like, oh, I need a different kind of growth opportunity. You know, you can't you you don't want your Jinkos anymore. (laughs) And right, so, or big big shoes like big shoes. pants pants that are like really tall that's what you i know, mean just like so too <laughs> big and you're like right i could grow to fill to fill this garment or like maybe you're done with that kind of growing maybe you're not going to get taller or maybe right. like yeah it's um and you don't want them dragging with the the cuffs getting all frayed in the back because you keep walking over them with your doc martens uh I don't know if anyone else went no, to high you know school in the she, late no, 90s yeah, or no, no, early 2000s. She, this is because she's in her mid-20s. This is going to be unfamiliar Oh, sorry. To her. Yeah, right. You're in but, your That's no, a different but, thing. But us, we know, and many listeners of this show, especially anyone who bought an expensive pair of like sevens jeans, and then you're supposed to wear it with heels, and you don't wear it with heels, and then they get all frayed at the bottom yeah. like you're talking about, yeah. and then they have just like mud, and then you, you're like, what do I do about this? This is my expensive jeans. But again, it's... she. She bought a pair of jeans that she doesn't really want to wear that way, right? Yep. And it. Yes. I, I will also say, just being in your mid twenties, two years into your first corporate job, it's a real place, you know. Like it is. That is a feeling where you're like, okay, I made it. I, I've things are kind of okay, but also. Eh, like what now what you know who am I going to be I thought I was supposed to figure these things out like my life is supposed to be wild and dynamic but also why does it feel this way why does it feel flat like all of these things are so normal and really I think broadly felt especially two years out of college right when you're in college you're growing all the time you're always getting all of this new knowledge just like thrown at you and then suddenly you're in this job where you're not learning anything any day that muscle has kind of atrophied that's not your fault right i mean not to come on the like work podcast and be like the american dream is a myth uh <laughs> jobs are hollow and are, and are not worth your this is the theme of every episode Josh, but it is so but it, it does like it sounds like you are specifically up against a form of labor that does not suit your needs. And like, just because it's good on paper doesn't mean it's good for you in this moment. It might even, maybe five years from now, you go, oh, I would like a job like this because I want the stable hours so I can get home at a stable time. Or, um, oh, it's nice to do something that I feel really 
competent at already. But this, I, I don't think the problem is like, I was a curious and an excited person my whole life and I pursued this higher education and then higher education and then I got to this job and now I'm stupid and lazy. It's like, no, <laughs> no. it sounds like you have a job that's like, doesn't cultivate your curiosity or play yeah. to your strengths and and like it is not you it's job <laughs> i think she has two options here right either she can decide it's really important to me that my job does cultivate that curiosity mm-hmm. and that impulse for growth and use the stability of this current job to look for other job right yeah or she can decide i want the ability to be ambitious and to be encouraged to grow in different parts of my life absolutely that aren't my job which intersects with a lot of things that Rainsford Stoffer and I talked about a few episodes ago about ambition like there's so many other places where she can feel really alive yeah that aren't her job so she can kind of figure out which one of those paths is the right one for her and not to mention on top of that all you don't owe your job being bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know? Like, you don't owe, like, giving 110% because at most they pay you for 100%. And (laughs) so even if you feel like, oh, I'm kind of mailing it in, all you really owe is, like, the work you agreed to do for the money they agreed to pay you. And then, like, being a reasonable person to the other people you deal with. Yeah, you know, yeah. If well, you're showing up every day, like, throwing a hot coffee in someone's face because you're so miserable, then maybe you seek the exits. But, like, you're not bad for being, like, it's bored and I don't try that hard. Right. Like, And I just, I hope that this generation of older Gen Zers, younger millennials, who have seen this discourse of, quiet quitting thrown at them as if like that was somehow quiet quitting is like a bad thing don't internalize that like you not giving 110% at your job doesn't mean that you're bad at your job just the same way that like boomers telling millennials that we were lazy and entitled when really we were out of work and it was the great recession like like, don't internalize those messages that don't know anything about you or your life Um, and I so I hope that this person can really look at where they are and say, I am in a place of of actual stability in this job. Where do I want to go from here? You mm-hmm. have a lot of choices. Like if you like to have a, a, an income right now, right? A steady income and health insurance, that's a platform which from which you get to decide how you want the rest of things in your life to go. That's a great way to look at it, I think. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Honeylove. If you're someone who wears a bra, you likely have that one bra you wear on the daily because it's the most comfortable one you own. But let me tell you that bra you thought was nice doesn't compare to my new favorite from Honeylove. Honeylove has revolutionized the bra game so you no longer have to deal with uncomfortable underwire, but without sacrificing support. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. Their bras are so comfortable, you won't want to take it off. And for a limited time only, you can get Honeylove on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with the code WORK at honeylove.com. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com and use the code WORK. So I have spent a lot of my life with that bra that is definitely like a year old, two years old, maybe three years old. And the straps are just kind of like not in a good place anymore. And you definitely kind of have the the underwire poking out and then the thing that actually makes you give up and get a new bra is when it fully pokes out and starts injuring you on a daily basis with honey love you don't have to worry about that 
You know that feeling when you get home from a long day and immediately want to take off your bra? That too. With Honey Love, you'll never experience it again. Their bras are so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing them. Honey Love's bestseller crossover bra is so comfortable, it's sure to be your new go-to. The bra gives you all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. For the more relaxed lounge bra, I recommend the V-Bra. It offers the support of a traditional bra, but without the uncomfortable underwire. It's designed to lift and separate, has molded cubs, and doesn't create the uniboob effect. Honey Love has you covered for the everyday look, workouts, weddings, and more. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com with the code WORK. Use the code WORK at honeylove.com. Your favorite bra just got a whole lot more comfortable with Honey Love. Work Appropriate is brought to you by ZocDoc. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment expecting to be the center of attention and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and better places to be. Instead of listening to you intently, asking you how you feel, and helping you along, the doctor is checking the clock. On ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com work and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com work. ZocDoc.com work. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Smile Actives. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Beverages like wine and coffee can stain teeth over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? You should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. 97% of Smile Actives users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades whiter on average, all within 30 days. If you ever wish that you had a whiter and brighter smile before you visit a dentist, you should know that their whitening treatments can be very expensive and it's not just the price. You also have to book the appointment and schedule time away from work or family to sit in a dentist's office chair while undergoing the procedure. It's a hassle. Fortunately, now you can try Smile Actives at home or anywhere, anytime. Smile Actives offers a safe and an affordable alternative to those expensive whitening procedures. Simply add Smile Active's Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. It's been formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. No change in your routine, no extra time, yet people will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Active's is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com work to receive our special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery and free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com work. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So for the second half of the episode, we are going to do a couple of questions about having confidence to tell coworkers no. Do you remember, Josh, in our last episode, we talked about like really bad gifts that people got in mm-hmm. the workplace? Yeah, for sure. 
So I also posed that question on Instagram. And like so many people told me about gifts that are like absolutely boggled the mind. Like someone told me that their boss got them mugs with photos from his vacation on them. Wow. That's um <laughs> That's like in terms of like inciting a class war, that's like the assassination <laughs> of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. That's like the shot. That's like what in history books people are going to be like this boss gave his employees um mugs that had pictures of his vacation on it. Anyway, there's no more capitalism because every office building has been burned to the ground. <laughs> So this question is like the sequel to that question. It's about gifts for your boss. It's from Alex and our colleague Brian is going to read it for us. How do you feel about getting a gift for your boss? I work at a small nonprofit with a staff of like 15 people and I've worked here for about a year. And twice when we've had employees leave for new jobs, uh, our CEO's assistant asked us all to chip in $10 to get them like a going away present. And my coworkers have already told me that they all pitched in to buy our CEO a Christmas gift last year. And I I guess I'm just wondering, is it okay not to participate? And if so, how do I go about doing that without being a jerk? I I like my boss, but I've always kind of hated the idea of buying your boss a gift as if hiring you is some act of kindness rather than a business necessity. Um, Appreciate your help. So when Melody, our producer, told me about this question, the way that I responded to her was that these people have been nonprofit pilled. Like this idea yes. that somehow you, <laughs> that yeah. you should be buying your CEO a gift. I just, I can't. What, what is your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm so... I, so. First of all, this stinks. Um, I will say, employee leaving, like a, a, like a yeah. co-worker leaving and everybody chips in $10, that seems like, if not standard like not unreasonable a nice thing to do for someone ten dollars is like it's not nothing and it's two times ever right so twenty dollars total that seems like an okay expense for like being a part of the social fabric of an office that doesn't seem unreasonable and if you can't swing it that seems okay too like to say you know um so not saying that everyone should have unlimited ten dollars but twenty dollars over the period of a job seems like yeah for coworkers. um the expectation to buy a gift for your boss is ridiculous, especially when that boss is the CEO. <laughs> and this is, yes, nonprofit build is exactly the way to put it. They're like, uh, they bought into the we're a family culture, and mm-hmm. and it's it's not your family. Even in your family, you don't have to buy a gift. However, you might look like a jerk, and that's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you think that this person should lead the revolution of saying, this is bullshit, we shouldn't be buying the CEO a gift? Or should they just politely decline to participate? I think, look, I think it's whatever you want to do. If you're like, we shouldn't do this, and this sends the wrong message to the CEO, fine. I. It seems like the culture in the office will be such that people go, but we want to. And yeah. then they'll do it anyway. Yeah. Um, and then they'll but, just be like, you're the weirdo. You're yeah. just not even, you're not a nice person. <laughs> yeah. And again, if it's $10, my advice would just be like, eat it and then talk shit about it to other friends and yes. colleagues. Other right places. into a podcast to talk about Absolutely. how ridiculous. And then be the, totally affirmed that the, the hosts really agree with you. Yes. I think this is going to, I think this might come up again later on the podcast, but it, there is like, there is an element of like, this is a thing that stinks, but I'm going to agree to do it, go along to get along. That is like, this isn't 
abuse, but it is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. There's no way, unless you're willing to say, which is, I, I can imagine this feeling very uncomfortable, like, this is an onerous financial commitment. That is the non-jerk way to do it. Everything else, I think they will see you as a jerk, even though what you're saying is like, because at, at the minimum, what you're saying is like, this thing you're doing is stupid and I don't want to be a part of it. Right. And even if you're right, that is a hard thing for people to hear and go like, yeah, they're right. We are stupid. Yes. And I think, you know, this person clearly from the shape of their question, they see that buying your boss a gift is treating being hired as an act of kindness instead of a business relationship. They see this clearly. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we have to emphasize to them like no like you know this is the reason why this isn't okay they get it so if you feel like do i would would i rather just not have this be a problem in my life and like go along with it and then maybe try to reform some of our more egregious nonprofit pilled practices right Mm -hmm. like whether that's trying to unionize the workforce, right? Or like there are things that I think can actually substantially change that model that are not just resisting paying for the CEO's present. Does that make sense? Totally. Like it. this feels so egregious, but is also substantively such a small thing that it's like, this is the straw that broke the nonprofit workers back, (laughs) you know, where it's like, it's especially if the scale is $10, $20 once a year, you're like, I can just like, oh, gritting your teeth being like, I can't believe I have to do this. (laughs) But it's like, that's not what's making your life hard. Or harder yes. than it has to be, let's say, the rest of the year. And right. so I, I do. I think focusing on the the bigger picture stuff is like a a way to soothe your legitimate frustrations without dying on every hill and picking every battle. And just to be clear, Josh and I very firmly agree with the idea that this is bullshit. So. Yes. Oh, such bullshit. And yes. we don't know if the rest of the the year feels this way, right? Like if this, this is the kind of nonprofit-pilled stuff that's happening all the time. Also, Josh, what would you say, like if there are any CEOs of nonprofits listening right now or assistance to CEOs of nonprofits who are facilitating these sorts of gifts, what would you say to them specifically? Tell them to knock it off. <laughs> they don't, don't expect a gift. Tell people not to give you gifts. Not that you don't. Look, you work hard. It's nice to be appreciated. Just a card. A card is plenty. Every, have everybody sign a card. I don't even, like, you don't even need a card. Like, what is the card? You're like, thanks. Happy for, holidays. Thanks for being our boss. Right. Like, <laughs> just tell them to stop if, if yes. they're getting you gifts. Be like, no, this is, you're making it weird. Um, <laughs> Stop it. You don't, no. I want to yeah. bop you with a newspaper. Yeah, no, this is like one of those things where if you want that culture to stop, you have to model it as like someone who's in a top level in an organization. So I think of this with like PTO, you know, like yep. if mm-hmm. if you say we want to have a healthy boundary around PTO, like don't respond to email when you're on break. And then you, the manager or the CEO, are constantly on your email, you are modeling the sort of behavior that you want. Yep. So Absolutely. even if you graciously accept this gift that you're underpaid 15 employees have given you you're like oh it's so nice blah 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 it's not no. so nice it's it's compulsory and bad and if you want them to give you a gift gross stop <laughs> being a weirdo find love in your life make Perfect. a friend 
you know what I would do is I would like look at the salary proportionality and I'd be like, yeah. all right, so we will reverse engineer this. So maybe the CEO will get a $5 gift card to Starbucks, which mm-hmm. is usually about the thanks that, you know, a nonprofit employee gets in terms yeah. of like a Christmas bonus. Or you so. could give your boss a mug with a picture of all of you <laughs> on vacation <laughs> just to show your commitment to work-life balance and having a healthy office. You don't have to go on vacation together. It can be a bunch of different pictures. <laughs> For our final question, fellow introverts are on pins and needles and need an answer to this. This is from Brooke. How do I get out of optional social activities like after work activities, happy hours, etc. with coworkers? I have limited social energy and just don't have a lot in common and don't have a good time with my teammates socially. It's not awful, but it's pretty uncomfortable, though I know others on my team enjoy it. I don't want to hurt my chances of career growth, but these activities like escape rooms are not my jam. So uh, this is a hard one because I I appreciate that Brooke brings up that it's not as simple as being like, I don't like to socialize. I don't like this is just not my jam. I'm not going to hang out. She understands that the relationships that people build during this extracurricular socialization time also lead to career advancement. Mm hmm. And this is something that you usually actually see come up in reference to like golf. <laughs> yes, golf is exactly where you go, which I think because it's not that. Yep. People I think it's think, okay. People think it's okay. They're like, it's right. just an escape room. Yep. Because I think golf is like people get deals done on the golf course and so much of it is just the socializing. I think that the idea of an escape room is like you're missing out on the bonding and you and, and that might be something you want to think of ways to replace but it's also they're not in an escape room coming up with project ideas for like <laughs> their own spin-off company you know what i mean like you're not that no ink is drying in the escape room uh unless there's like a puzzle with invisible ink um so i think that that is it is not it what you're missing out on is the bonding and not the like this is actually where the real work is being done. Yeah. In my, it is my guess. Yeah. I think if this person is concerned about career opportunities and really dislikes this sort of thing, which I totally get, what I would do is funnel some of your energy into more formalized mentorship type mm-hmm. conversations, right? Like make yourself a presence in people's lives. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be, first of all, on your own time. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like, OK, from 6 to 8 p.m. on a Thursday, I'm going to go do this. And do axe also throwing at a craft brewery. 100 percent. And then you still can feel like I have these connections to people in a way that matters and that is it is really focused on work itself. And I also I just want to say that, like, if you are at a workplace that does this, it can be so exclusionary to so many people and not just introverts. I'm talking about. People who don't drink, mm-hmm. people who have caregiving responsibilities, like you are essentially self-selecting a group of people who have the time and wherewithal and emotional and disability and access, energy. I think, for some. Yeah, totally. One hundred percent. So you are whether even though you think you're just having a fun time and like morale building, you're actually reproducing a lot of the power hierarchies that are already in place for people who don't have those caregiving responsibilities, mm-hmm. who are able-bodied, you know, all of these things. Especially after work hours. Yes. If if everybody, go, if they go, look, from two to four today, we're going to have a social hour instead of doing stuff at the office, then it's like, you know, okay, you're, they're paying you to be there. 
be there and yeah. and that's part of that's an annoying part of your day but like when it's outside yeah i think i think you're dead on with like if these are people that you have professional affinity for if not like shared hobbies find a way to cultivate that in the workday ideally or if you go hey would you want to have breakfast and just talk you know just just catch up check in that way or like lunch during the workday or a coffee or some kind of beverage of choice you know whatever your comfort level is after work and and make clear it's a professional cultivation thing I think like it's okay to cultivate those one-on-one relationships but part of this also feels like you don't have a lot to say to your coworkers, Uh and so like maybe it's just like these are not the people that are going to have that long tail professional relationship for you and that's okay too but it is like figure out the ways to to engage with the people that you want to engage with outside of whatever it is, like adult obstacle course or some (laughs) nonsense. And that, and I think that that is, that's allowed. And it's, and, and then it, it both gives you these opportunities to build professional relationships and find out whether you actually have things in common or, or, mutual interest professionally just stuff to talk about and cultivate these professional relationships with people that you're like well we have nothing in common in an escape room like maybe you do in other situations or uh, and at the very least it takes some of the sting out of you saying like i'm not gonna do that i don't want to do that because then the people that you have these relationships with know that you're like interested in them as a colleague uh even if you're not interested in like a trampoline room for an hour with them and you know this this question Esther doesn't say how old her colleagues are or exactly what industry they're in but I think there is oftentimes an impulse in companies that have younger employees and especially any anything that is related to like digital startup culture Mm -hmm. in any capacity but there's this feeling of like recreating college Essentially, right, mm-hmm. which is a place like the understanding that the place where you work is also the place where you find all of your friendships, yeah. all of your romantic partnerships and have all of your fun. Yeah. And I'll also add that like places like Google and Facebook, like they purposely try to make that happen because they want people's entire social circle to be really yeah. just the workplace. Right. Because then you just work more because it's all tethered to the workplace. Yep. This is not healthy. I know that it happens. It happened to me in very different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be very conscious about, like, this is not the avenue that I want for myself. My strongest friendships are outside of the workplace. Yeah. You have an obligation to be friendly to your coworkers. Mm-hmm. You do not have an obligation to be friends, like, best friends with them. And that's okay. Totally. And it's if, if you feel like what you're losing by not doing it is more than what you're gaining, yeah. then, like, it's okay to do or to find a surrogate for as long as you're being nice about like these escape rooms stress me out but like let's find a different way to hang out as a substitute I think you'll feel like once you get out of the feeling of obligation like once you've excused yourself and recused yourself a couple times there might be a little FOMO but it won't you won't feel the same level of discomfort disentangling yourself from this you know yes so our clearest advice would be you can say escape rooms aren't my thing. Yep. I would love to have lunch. Yeah. Right? Great. I, Fantastic. That's so, that's such a nice, and then you get this one-on-one instead of like 
group fun, you get to like really connect with someone if there's someone you're interested in connecting with on a work level. And then if you find out they're not, then it's like, what are you missing out on other than a bad time with people that you don't have anything in common with? (laughs) This has been wonderful advice. I feel more confident already. Do you feel more confident? Do you feel like you could go into a workplace right now and be like, don't want to go to the escape room, but also um, here's the present. I don't know. Like I'm just combining I'm gonna, all of our this different This is how things. confident I am. I'm going to buy the escape room. I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> I'm going – I'm like Ben Gazzara in Roadhouse. I'm just going to like really throw my weight around in a small town. I guess it's Kansas City. But I'm yeah, I, I feel – I'm on top of the world. <sighs> or jo- on the bottom of the world, just <laughs> punching it upwards. <laughs> Josh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was such a pleasure. Always so nice to see you. Uh, And I will also say to listeners that Josh is a recurring co-host on the show. And if you have other feelings, questions, broadly conceived, please send them our way. And Josh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, my gosh. JoshGondelman.substack.com is my weekly newsletter. It's free. I, I give most information about what I'm doing there. I also, at my website, if you're like, oh, I just want to find out about live shows, joshgondelman.com. I, I update pretty regularly. I'm kind of on the road off and on. Uh, I'm frequently on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I've got a stand-up special called People Pleaser. You can watch for free, I think on Tubi at this point. Definitely yes. free for Prime members and for rent all these other places. And I have a book called Nice Try. So if you would like to become incredibly sick of me, hear me kind of repeat myself, uh, do all those things. But pick and choose if you want. I think <laughs> Stand up special of the newsletter. Come see me on tour. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's like a Josh smorgasbord. They can yeah. find you so I'm many places. Kind of a human buffet in, in a way that's not gross. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Work Appropriate. If you've got a workplace quandary and you need help figuring it out, let us know. One angle we're exploring is the specific problems that arise when the higher-ups say your workplace is like a family. Sound familiar? Find submission guidelines at workappropriate.com or send us a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Gerard. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. You can follow me on Twitter at Anne Helen or on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson. And you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. Next week, if you manage one person or 101 people, this episode is for you. We're talking about how to be a better boss. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss it. Mm-hmm.